hello and welcome to Something to Declare. We're really pleased to have you listening in uh, with us today. Uh, Beth, hello, how are you? Hello, I'm fine, thank you. I was just um, amused because no one else can see us and we just do a little dance because we know the music's happening. <laughs> we do, we do. <laughs> <laughs> how are you, David? Yeah, I'm doing all right, thank you. I'm uh, attempting to lean into my plan for the year, uh, which... Uh, 2022 is, is is my year in theory of not having many additional commitments, external commitments beyond, you know, making sure the children are fed and watered and making sure I'm doing what I need to do uh, with with church life. So 2021 brought an, over the course of the year, lots of other things I was doing finished. So I was chair of trustees for a charity uh, campaign against FGM that finished. I finished on BU Council earlier in the year. Um, the end of the summer, my work with JPIT finished and, and a number of other things too. So um, my, te you know, my temptation is always to then you know, fill that space with other things, but I really felt a sense of actually have to learn to sit without some of that for a while. And I've got a sabbatical next year. And so I'm trying to not take on any new sort of permanent commitments until after this sabbatical um, at the very least. Um, that's quite hard, I have to say, and I'm learning to say say no to things, um, but that's going to be a lifelong piece of work, um, I think. So, but I'm I'm in, you know, so far January's been okay. I'm embracing it. <laughs> it's like just January's the longest month of all time, though, isn't it? It's like. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like like the summer kind of whizzes past, and then January takes at least half a year. It um, does. I swear, January is six months long, and the rest of the day is about the rest of the year is about a fortnight. It just sort of uh... absolutely no. It's, it's so hard to say no to things, isn't it? I think um, maybe quite a lot of people who end up in local ministry or active in church life are because we're the kind of yes people, and and then you realise that you've got so many commitments in so many different areas of your life. You think. <laughs> Yeah. Where, where do I fit in here and what is God um, asking? Um, I, Jane Day is one of the people I get to work with and um, I will have to get her on the podcast, I think. because We will, um, we will. An interesting person on so many different levels. Um, and she always, um, she's, she's really kind of formed in that kind of Ignatian idea of what is mine to do, what is ours to do. And I love how she formed the team with that question when we're in the Faith and Society team, she used to ask that question a lot. Um, and uh, but she she really models it in the way she lived her own life. She's really disciplined about what is mine to do, and and she will very resistantly say no to things. So she might say no to our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but it's always such an interesting question. I think um, like and I've often thought about that. You know, going into today, well, what is mine to do? What else? You know, what in this overcrowding of expectations do I actually need to let go of? And um, I think the phrase is like is it benign neglect like this idea mm. that you kind of hand those things back to God because you can do what you can do but the rest has to sit with God I found that a really helpful kind of spiritual thought um I don't get around to thinking it very often though because I yeah. just fill my life with too many busy things <laughs> <laughs> yeah um challenge David who have we got this week well uh wonderfully this week we uh are having a chat with uh, the Reverend John Goddard, who is a former student at Regents, where you now uh, teach, and is uh, a Baptist minister currently at Saffron Walden Baptist Church uh, in Essex, God's own county, uh, <laughs> but is in the, the opposite corner of Essex to us here in, in Shoebury Ness. But it was really good to uh, 
uh, have a chat with John. And so uh, let's listen into that now. Well, uh, John, welcome. Great to have you on our Something to Declare podcast. Thank you, David. Good to be here. Um, and I should, you know, probably just in case it comes up at various points, we have attempted to do this already, but were, I was defeated by some technical issues. So I'm especially grateful that you've been willing to come back and uh, talk to us um, again uh, today. Um, so, John, you're a Baptist minister mm -hmm. and uh, you've been a Baptist minister for a little while. And uh, I wondered if you might tell us how you became a Baptist minister. What was that process like for you? Oh, I love that, the, the euphemism of a little while. Yes, <laughs> an old so-and-so. Yeah, I, weirdly, it all began in the Methodist church. Um, so a cradle Methodist, uh, parents both very active in the, the local church. And when I was 16... We had a, a mission team come to the church, and um, long story short, they uh, they persuaded me to share my testimony in front of the school. That was an interesting experience. Uh, but as a result of that, one of them said, had I ever considered what in Methodist terms was called having a note to preach, starting the process of becoming a lay preacher, a local preacher. And so that began for me at the age of 16, and I went off to university, did some theology, did some pieces um, and with that sense that ministry was probably where I was headed. For now, it was preaching, but, but church based ministry seemed to be where I was headed. I did other bits and pieces. I worked for a couple of years for the Evangelical Alliance. There's a story or two in that. Um, and for a couple of years as a chaplain at the University of Nottingham, working with international students. But. Along the way, I had, I'd become a, um, I'd become Baptist in my thinking, Baptist in my theology, and so uh, in my twenties, I applied to the East Midlands Baptist Association as, uh, as I was part of them, and um, went through the process of uh, beginning the journey to becoming a, a Baptist minister. Three years at Regent's Park College, which was a blessing. <laughs> and um, now I'm serving in my third church, the best part of 25 years down the road. Okay. And are there, do you find sort of elements of Methodism <laughs> that have stayed with you? Well, now, of course, the problem with that is that it's very easy to go for stereotypes. Um, and um, <laughs> uh, and I, I like a cliche as much as the next person. Um, hymn singing. Um I guess in my, I mean, in my own church at the moment, we have a fantastic worship band and we are using lots of really contemporary worship resources. Um, but I do enjoy a good old hymn. And I do find sometimes that um, uh, some of my hymn singing knowledge is very much based in that Methodist upbringing. But I suppose there's something too about the the sort of the radical nature of the roots of Methodism that um, that that informed the sort of Baptist I was too. I guess uh, my on my father's side we were primitive Methodists, and there's something of the history of primitive Methodism that um, there's there's a radical streak that I, I hope 
I hope at my best moments I carry forward into my my life as a Baptist. But it does feel like a long time ago if I'm not uh, if, if I'm honest. Yeah. Um. Dare I ask if you have a favourite hymn? In that case. Oh, now that's is that a tough question? Uh, it's tricky, not least because in recent years I've spent a lot of time in. Um, Anglican contexts for choral evensong. So some of the hymns that I've grown to love are much more Anglican-based than, than Methodist. So um, uh, I, I, I love the simplicity of um, George Herbert's hymn, uh, Let All the World in Every Corner Sing, My God and King. And I, I, and I love the hymn, uh, All My Hope on God is Founded. But the Methodist hymns... Um, well, I remember as a very young preacher, one of the things that terrified me was filling an hour. Um, the, <laughs> the, the, you know, how on, what, what on earth was I going to say? So five cracking long hymns build quite a lot of space. I, I, you know, and so I loved singing, And Can It Be? I loved singing Blessed Assurance. I loved singing Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. And by the time I'd had three or four of those in a in a service that wasn't um, I didn't need to go on very much in the sermon. That's a, it's a top tip for our, our listeners to take away. Um, so if you uh, began preaching, say when you were when you were 16, um, I'm guessing that there are some passages that after, you know, as you say, three churches and 25 years, whatever, you um, have preached on a, a good number of times. Uh, what, what's that like when you come around to the same passage, the sixth, seventh time of, of asking? What's, uh, yeah. How does it stay fresh for you? Does it stay fresh for you? There was a time, I mean, I started, I mean, I'm going to be 55 soon. So uh, started preaching at 16. That does sound like a long time. And there was a time in my early 20s, I began to wonder, whether because I'd read all the Bible by then and I, I wondered whether you know it had anything much new to say um, and I was I was grateful to realize that of course it does um, but weirdly it still does um, at the moment for instance David I'm doing a, a as a church we're currently using the lectionary readings year C at the moment mm -hmm. Um, it's a discipline I've used occasionally through ministry, but not, not one I've been wedded to. Um, and I do play fast and loose. I, um, I'm, at the moment, I'm very focused on the gospel readings and perhaps spend less time with the epistles and the Old Testament than I should. Um, but uh, that will balance out eventually. But I've just had a couple of times recently where I've preached on a passage and realised there's something I'm seeing for the first time despite the fact that this is such a famous passage, such a, such a well-preached, well-loved, well-liked passage, that I must have preached on it in double figures by now. Um, a few weeks ago, the gospel lectionary reading was the wedding at Cana. I, I've lost count of how many times I've preached on that. I, I love the, the drama of that story. I love the, uh, I love the maths. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> yes. I, I once worked out. I reckon. I reckon it's the best part of a thousand bottles of wine that Jesus produces for that wedding. Um, I, I I love all that. Um, but but once I've said it, how, what on earth will there be new to say? Well, this year I was I was preaching on it. I'd completely forgotten I'd preached on the same passage this time last year. 
a friend of mine very kindly reminded me. Um, but, but this year I saw something that I'd never seen before. And it was partly because the Old Testament reading for the day um, from Isaiah included these words. Um, so shall your God rejoice over you. So pairing that alongside the wedding at Cana, it was the first time that I'd gone beyond the, wow, look at the celebration going on here. Look at the goodness. Look at the generosity. Look at the grace of this passage. Look at how God's kingdom brings joy and uh, inclusion to, to everyone there. And suddenly realize that God is enjoying it too. Um, and I, it should have, the incarnation should have taught me that God was there. Jesus is there in the midst of this wedding. But it was the first time I'd really got that, that God was rejoicing too. I'd never seen that before in that passage. Um, and that came, you know, came in a new way. This last weekend, it was um, Jesus in the synagogue um in in nazareth and again how many times have we preached on on that passage and jesus gets up to read from isaiah and he says the spirit of the lord is upon me this time preaching from it i'd noticed that just beforehand it says that jesus had come into galilee filled with the spirit I, when i see repetition i'm i'm always intrigued and i got to thinking what not just what does it look like to be filled with the spirit, but I got to wondering what, what does the opposite look like? What's the opposite to being filled with the spirit? Um, and in this context with Jesus in his home village and all the negativity that he's gonna get about that in the later passage, I, I, I started to wonder whether the opposite in this passage to being filled with the spirit is being weighed down with the expectations of those who think they know us, the, the burden of the way that things have always been. And suddenly I was that 16 year old preacher uh, preaching for the first time in my grandmother's primitive Methodist chapel. Wow. And that sense of who am I? What on earth's going on here? And you know, what will they think? And I'm just, I'm just Bill's son. And you know, what, what, what was gonna happen? And the difference between trying to minister out of that fear and ministering instead out of the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And, and you, then you see that the liberty and the freedom that that brings. And I have to say, I got, my, I got excited. I'm, I'm not sure a preacher's still supposed to get excited at <laughs> my age. I probably need a note from the doctor, but um, I got excited. And it was simply through the, the scriptures that I've, I've read so many times. Mm. There's another sermon coming, if I'm not careful, David. I'll yeah, it's that. wonderful. It's wonderful. Um, so you mentioned about, obviously, saying preaching over uh, a period of time, but also then uh, the, the different churches that you've mm. served. Have they been sort of similar? Have you sort of, or have they been uh, different? Or, and if so, how have you found there's been common threads that have run through ministry in those places or have they all looked very distinct if you, if you look at it on paper it's been a, a really quite a variety of churches I mean when I was a student I was looking after a, a gorgeous little village Baptist chapel on the outskirts of Oxford Wolvercote Baptist Church loved them to bits they were fantastic people um, 
went from there to uh, to Woodstock in North Oxfordshire, and then on to um, to Barrow and Furness in Cumbria, and now in Saffron Walden. And if you looked at that geographically, you would see churches in fabulously wealthy Greenwelly and Range Rover sort of territory like Woodstock and Saffron Walden contrasted with um, industrial and post-industrial um, working class Cumbria. Um, I loved my time in Barrow and Furness. Um, I miss the people. I miss, I miss living by the sea as well. Um, but yeah, huge contrasts, huge. But actually, people not not so much a contrast I, I i found people tend to be pretty recognizable wherever you go uh whether they be people who are serving god faithfully whether they're people who are just a bit grumpy about what god's done with them or or whatever it might be um people are pretty much in my own limited experience the same wherever i've been um yeah. Um, and so how, obviously, one thing that's been distinct about the time in, in Saffron Walden, obviously, is um, the pandemic. Uh, oh, gosh, yeah. yeah. How, how have you uh, coped with that? How's the church coped with that? It's been hard. Of course, it's been hard. It's, I can't quite believe that it's two years coming up that we've, um, we, we've been working through this. And I think for so many people it's it's the things that we've had to let go of temporarily the times when we weren't meeting face to face the times when we weren't singing I think people found that very hard mm. at the moment we're being a little bit cautious again during the, the the current spike so we've we're not doing refreshments after church at the moment our choice not we're not banned from doing it just we thought that was sensible and and people miss the fellowship side of chatting and catching up with one another so we we've we've missed a lot along the way um but but we've also had to adjust to a lot and i think that's the thing that i have found perhaps most challenging occasionally exciting but mostly mostly just very draining has been the constant readjustment to what the next stage brings so it wasn't that two years ago we had to find a new way of doing church. Um, it's that two years ago we had to find a way of being church for about eight weeks, then changed for another six months and then changed again for a few weeks and then became different again. And whether that's to do with the technology we're using or I think we've had the chairs set out in the church in half a dozen different ways over the over the period whatever it might be we've just had to adjust and keep adjusting um the first sunday of the first lockdown was the first time that i have ever um filmed myself using my camera my, my phone um and uploaded that to youtube i didn't even know you called it uploading <laughs> I may not have even got that right. Um, I had to, you know, I had to get my teenage son to sort of talk me through, you know, what did I need and um, setting up a YouTube channel. And I'd never done any of that. Um, and initially I was 
providing content via YouTube, um, short little bits that we would we would use. We used Facebook as a way of having some form of um, community access to that. But in time, we we discovered the ubiquitous Zoom. Um, we did we did afternoon tea on Zoom first for a few weeks, got used to it, and then started doing church on Zoom. And then latterly, we um, managed to get set up for live streaming. So once we were back in the chapel, we were able to eventually live stream our services, um, which again, currently we, we live stream to a Zoom group. And sort of okay, yeah. Those, those things. So that's all been new, David. Not If you'd asked, if you'd said to me a couple of years ago that I would be recording services on Zoom or you know, I, I would have, you know, I wouldn't have believed a word of it. That's been the practical side of it. That's been the, the stuff that's taken a lot of adjusting to. But, but I want to circle back to, to saying, actually, it's the things that we, I think the things that we missed, I hope mean that going forward, we will value more. I hope we will value, once we can have meals together again, I hope we'll do it more often than we did. I think once we can, you know, once we can sing without face coverings, I hope we're going to sing an awful lot more enthusiastically than we did previously. And we were pretty loud already. I hope we're, I hope we're going to really see some of that. And I hope we're going to notice that we've been able to reach out in different ways to our community. So I've had folk, we've seen folk joining the church throughout lockdown, which totally blows me away. Uh, but some of that has been tripping over us online. Some of that has been um folk who have have realized that that actually they their own priorities have changed and maybe maybe there is a need to to seek something new in the midst of that and, and some of my folk will have drifted away as well in terms of maybe they didn't miss church quite as much as they expected to mm. and so there'll be a there'll be a few that we haven't seen much of for a couple of years and um I, I think there's a there's a need for for, for prayer and patience in there. Um, we're all dealing with this as as we can, and um, if that means that for some of us it just needs a little bit of a break, then I've got a feeling that God is more patient than I am with things like that. Yes, prayer and patience. I like that a lot. I think that's. Um a great prescription for the for the coming months uh, preach to myself on that yeah. Yeah, yeah well i'm i'm taking it too absolutely right um i wonder if i might as well john just ask you one of the things i know you uh, sometimes like to do um is to go bird watching uh yep uh, have you have long been uh, a bird watcher and what is it about it that um that draws you in hmm. I mean, I mean, I love the simplicity of it. Right? This coming weekend, the RSBB have their big bird watch, um, which is all about folks sitting down in their living rooms, looking out into the garden, looking out of the, you know, from the balcony, wherever they are, and saying, yeah, actually, what, what can I see in the garden in front of me? What can I see in the street in front of me? What's, what's going on? Um, and I remember doing that as a kid. I, I remember I had a a book with pictures of birds in it and little circles that you put a tick in when you saw one. 
I've got a feeling it had, you know, five points for a sparrow or a blue tit and 25 points if you ever managed to see a golden eagle, which I did. <laughs> no. never, never saw one in the garden. <laughs> um, so all these years on, um, for a long time, I was just aware, yeah, the birds were always there. They never went away, but I wasn't overly focused. But I, I guess it was around my 40th birthday, I started to rediscover again a love for wildlife, for, for being outdoors, for, for seeing what, a, what was around. Um, and at one stage, I thought I might be going down the route of long lists and ticking birds off again and um, chasing around the country to see a, a poor misguided American bird that had got lost and somehow turned up <laughs> in some remote Scottish island. But actually, that's not what happened for me. What, what happened was a realisation that what I really enjoy is going and sitting somewhere quiet, usually in a bird hide somewhere, and just seeing what's going on. And if something unusual turns up, then fantastic. But if actually what I'm doing is watching a bird that I've watched many, many times, I'm still seeing it probably doing something I've not noticed before. I'm, I'm trying to learn what's going on. I'm trying to see what's happening in front of me. Uh, and a fascination with bird life has led to fascination with wildlife in general. Um, uh, my youngest lad built a pond in the man's garden a few years ago. He's disappeared off to university and beyond now, but um, he's left his pond behind. Uh, <laughs> I, that was actually, that was, that was my go-to place during lockdown okay. uh, to go and sit by the pond, um, watching what was going on, watching the, I, I love the dragonflies. Um, I, that's, you know, they utterly fascinate me. So yeah, it's, it's a wildlife thing. It's a bird thing, but it's not just that male collector gene thing going on. It's, I guess it's become sort of a mindfulness thing. It's become a, Many years ago, I, I, I loved my visits up to the Northumbria community. Um, and I, I loved visiting the mother house up there. And um, I would go and sit in uh, uh, the Pustinia, the, um, the, the little garden sheds, basically, that were named for the Russian desert, Pustinia. Um, and I, I loved the silence and the way of being withdrawn in those places and seeking God. And all these years later, I actually find that being in a bird hide on a really good day is like being in the Pustinia. It's a time of being focused on what is happening in the here and now, finding God in the midst of the beauty of creation. Um, and that's, that's been a real, a, a real eye-opener for me. Um, so yes, uh, my local RSPB reserve is not one of the big showy ones. It doesn't have many... Uh, many exciting things going on. It's, it's often very quiet, and that suits me down to the ground. Yeah, I, well, I, you paint a very uh, enticing picture uh, of it. I've something I've never experienced before. But uh, we have some good bird watching places uh, near where we are here, so maybe I should uh, be embracing this more. I, uh, I'll keep you posted. I, I'm available for consultation. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Um, John, we we finish each of our chats on the podcast by asking our guests two questions. So I want to ask them to you. Hmm. Um, 
And the first one is this. If you had one thing to declare to our union in this moment, what would it be? Ah, our beloved union, um, what would it be? Um, for me, I think the passion that God has laid on my heart over recent years um, is the thing that I would like to declare to our union. And that's about our LGBTQ plus friends. It's about how we as a union of churches, how we as churches of Christ embrace and include and affirm, not simply welcome our LGBT friends. Um, I, I think they need and deserve a better kind of inclusion that we currently offer. Uh, an inclusion that's not simply an issue of, where, where this is not simply an issue of theological interpretation and difference and debate, but one of justice and righteousness and, and safety and security and sanctuary. Um, I think as churches, we need to be very, very aware of how, how we as churches have damaged people along the way. Um, so I, I think that's what I would want to, to declare to our union, that we, we can be better than this. We can be bigger than this that God's kingdom is for all, and it's for all equally, not all with qualifications and caveats. So I think that's what I'd love to declare to the union, and in my own quiet way, try to do a little bit along the way already. Wonderful, thank you. And then the second question is, if you think Baptists have one thing to declare to the world in this moment, what would that be? And um, I mean, as Baptists, I mean, we are part of a worldwide church um, and we are on the whole no better nor worse than most churches at the way we have treated one another. But I, I think we as Baptists and, and as Christians generally, I think we want to, we need to say to the world that we are sorry, that we apologize for not grasping just how broad and deep God's love for the world truly is. I think we've, we've not, I think we've, we've not grasped that yet or as, as much as we could. And so I would love to see Baptists at the forefront of, of declaring the love of God for all the world, in, including the natural world, including climate crisis and such like, but, but also for, for, the, for human dignity. We are all of us created in the image and likeness of God. And I, I'd love us to see, I'd love to see Baptists declaring God's love to the world broadly like that. I, I think maybe we've maybe we've too often got the impression that our job is to judge the world rather than to love the world. And I, I think the scriptures are pretty clear whose job the judgment is to be and whose job the loving is to be. Um, I saw one of my friends over the weekend was at a, a Martin Joseph gig. He was posting some 
images online and it, it reminds me of uh, I, I love Martin Joseph and his music has been around even longer than I have um, <laughs> with his uh, his radical take on, on life and I'm reminded of a, an old Martin Joseph song where he says thank god you're not the jury thank god I'm not the judge here's to a bigger future here's to a bigger love uh, and I'd love to think that Baptists can declare that bigger love of God to the world. That's a wonderfully compelling vision. Uh, thank you so much, John. And thank you for your time today. We appreciate having you on the podcast. You are very welcome. Always a pleasure, David. And I look forward to catching up with you soon. Thank you. Bye. So, Beth, that was a little chat I had with our friend John. What strikes you from, from the conversation? Um, oh, so many, so many different things. Um, but I, I wanted to start with the, um, the thing about the bird watching, um, because I think there was something that picked up on perhaps a lockdown spirituality there that a lot of us oh. have kind of um, okay. maybe been thinking about um, that, you know, we got kind of cooped up into houses and gardens and it was a lot more about looking out the window at the world um, that you couldn't really go into or sitting in your garden. And, and because that first lockdown, especially didn't it, everything stopped, like the traffic stopped, um, the pollution cleared. And I remember suddenly being aware of the birds for the first time. And I don't know if it was that there suddenly were, a whole selection of more like a variety of more birds than there were before and it was suddenly like a much more exciting garden than I've been in before or whether it was just that I slowed down enough to notice them um but I I remember thinking at the time just that you know that bit where Jesus says consider the you know consider the lilies consider the birds and um and I and so I have often thought about birds ever since um and often notice now I'll be in a kind of rushing around moment or feeling kind of stressed about something or I've got to do something as a deadline and I need to get something done or just aware of a situation that's going on or something and um, pastorally and you're kind of trying to be there and often we'll notice a bird now and um and there are all sorts of different birds and I don't know anything about birds <laughs> I have no idea what any I've never done a tick book bird book thing that I can tell you that's that bird or that's that bird I can pretty much identify a robin and a <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> like that's probably my limit a blackbird I could do a blackbird you know I really have no knowledge of birds at all um although we have red kites in Oxfordshire which is really exciting mm. they sweep around doing that kind of scary thing um uh, and I just but I've often been kind of prompted out of a kind of a space of busyness to think about birds and I so I just loved that he was talking about the kind of the mindfulness exercise of going and sitting with the birds and watching them and um, the whole kind of contemplative element of that um, and how that clearly sustains so much of him. Um, and I just think, could he run us like some sort of bird watching retreat for Baptist ministers who know nothing about bird watching? Because I think that wouldn't that be really cool, like to go bird watching for a day or two and like think about it kind of spiritually. And um, yeah, that could work. Book, uh, something. Yeah, that, that could work. There have definitely been worse ideas for retreat days run. Uh, I, I, I like that. I'd sign up for a couple of days with with John uh, on retreat um I just want to wear some fancy wellies and a like a barber jacket and pretend I'm from the country for a few <laughs> days <laughs> <laughs>
what as i mean john spoke as well we mentioned in the, in the conversation about the pandemic generally and just navigating that through through church life and uh, i resonated with much of what john said about all the different things they tried and and all the various tech that one has to learn and i think so many churches have I've had to obviously grapple with with all of that and have made different choices as well, um, which has been really interesting. So we've been able to learn from from each other. So, for example, we had one service on Zoom, uh, which was a total and unmitigated disaster. And uh, I vowed never to do it again, um, and <laughs> which was fine. Um, a number of people who had different, um, what do I say, different social boundaries uh, found the listening to any one person on zoom very difficult and so whilst i love the community sense of that um <laughs> zoom we found was all right for sort of coffee time and zoom was all right for church meetings but worship services didn't work for us so we we were more uh youtube or based although as john says you know you don't get the interaction from that so i do to understand I but yeah fascinating i was really interested by the idea that you could live stream to zoom uh, awesome thing I was yeah. like oh yeah yeah, yeah. hybrid zoom church yeah um, yeah I because obviously it wasn't in local pastorate during the pandemic because I was on a mixture of maternity leave and then in an office-based role um, and I feel completely de-skilled in this and now I'm doing it for the first time because uh, covid flare-ups in Oxford at the moment um, suddenly like oh there's a whole load of kind of tech that I don't know how to do and I'm having to make up as I go along and yeah, so I have a, everybody else I feel like has trailed it out um, and I, I'm sort of doing it for the very first time. But I was really interested as well. He said about that, you know, we thought we were doing this for eight weeks and then it yes. went six months and, and now we're still here. You know, this kind of, um, that's been, that has been the pandemic, hasn't it? It hasn't had a click. We, we thought we had this short term, you know, thing that we had to live through and then it's just sort of dragged and I think so many of us think we might have lived that first initial stage but differently if we'd have known how long it was going to take um but it's it's kind of like yeah this this sense that it's still here and you know we talk about the new normal but um you know the new abnormal that we live with is is still it's still ongoing and the sense of like will this end how will this end will it just become part and parcel of life and mm -hmm. Yeah, challenge. So many things, so many things that we do differently if we knew the length of time. Um, you know, you're planning six weeks, three months, whatever at a time, and it just yeah, and that adds to the weariness, I think, that is is out there. Um yeah. I have to say I'm slightly resistant to some of the what has God taught us during the pandemic type conversations. Um, I just, just not in the mood for that chat, you know. God bless the people who are, but it really isn't where my uh, where I am um, people feel the need to make it productive don't yeah they? yeah like, you know it wasn't wasted it wasn't just two years of feeling frustrated it's got to mean something and do something and you know God must have had a purpose and a plan in it and and I think you know maybe God weaves grace into all situations I believe that firmly mm -hmm. um uh, and God will have woven grace through even the hardest of situations but I'm not sure it quite means that there was kind of, you know, this kind of lovely, you know, easy takeaway message. I'm always resistant to spirituality that has a nice, easy takeaway message. I'm really resistant to sermons like that. If people tell me kind of the, you know, kind of Bible is an instruction book and here's how to apply it to your life tomorrow. I, I, I will like do the opposite on principle. I, okay. okay. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I'm just like, no, no, I'm just <laughs> not have to look this out. Um, 
even if they're right, which I'll gradually get back around to within my week of thinking about the sermon, but you know, kind of like, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. So I think maybe that's a personality issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Probably need to go away and work on that. <laughs> um, I was yeah, thinking about uh, John's comments on preaching thinking, as we're talking mm, about preaching. Yes. Because um, he, he talked a lot about the lectionary, didn't he? And then how he kind of forms sermons and, and this idea of preaching on passages you've met before and discovering these new things in them. Um, and I I think that's always one of the things I love about preaching is, is when you come back to a passage, even if you've preached on it before, you discover this new nugget, this new kind mm. of thing that sparks off then the rest of your ideas and um I was interested that um you know the way he uses the lectionary I think I so I'm a lectionary girl quite a lot of the time I would often use the lectionary um I like the fact that it's been discerned by community I don't think it's flawless I think I've got a lot of critiques about it but I like that it's not just me deciding my favorite passages and I like the fact that it has three passages at least and they so you hear the whole a bit more of the arc of scripture and the kind of mm. themes and I think that's what kind of John was picking out wasn't it that they kind of the way scripture can help us interpret scripture and we can hear new resonances by putting these stories together and layering them together and and of course Jesus was you know Jesus was somebody who really knew his Old Testament scripture so so I think we, if we 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 can become a bit you know gospel focused or Paul focused I think sometimes and miss some of the richness of the Old Testament um so I love that kind of combination of hearing it in a kind of big chunk of scripture. So, nah. yeah, I mean, I'm quite new to the lectionary, really, as only through hosting the JP podcast, which I inherited from, from you last year, um, that I, I began to work uh, with it regularly. We now use it for our midweek Bible study here, uh, even though I'm not doing the podcast anymore. We're still using those texts because people found it so helpful. Um, we dip in and out on Sundays and doing something else at the moment. Um, but it's been really helpful. And I think that idea of, of say, weaving together the, the stories is so helpful. I mean, we always, we adamantly have an Old Testament and New Testament reading in every service here anyway, regardless of whether we're doing the lectionary or not. Partly just because people don't read the Old Testament very much is what they tell me. And so, it's like, well, at least once a week, you're going to hear something out of the Old Testament if you're with us. Um, and that's worked really well. And some weeks um, it's very tied together and other weeks, you know, well, what was that reading about? Well, don't worry about it too much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but or as indeed one can be with electionary as well, but it, it's a good thing and a great way of, of sustaining preaching ministry, I think, over a period of time is to sort of almost submit, I think, to the discipline of not being the one who always sets what you're talking about. And I think there's something about the humility of that, which might tie into something else I want to ask you about in a second. And um, just that sense of, I'm not just preaching on the bits I want to preach on, or well, if one was being more spiritual, the bits I feel led to preach on. But I think there is something else in, it's like when you go to preach at another church, you know, actually, actually I quite like being given the text. There's something about that that is good and healthy for me as a preacher. I mean, if I if they want to let me choose, hey, I've got some, some cracking sermons in the drawer uh, all, all three of them after 16 years um, <laughs> that I, I can use uh, but it, it, it's possible and um, although that's the problem with everything being online isn't it is that it removes your ability to your favorite three sermons oh, definitely <laughs> yeah it catches me out all the time um picking up on the humility thing though I uh, was just struck by John's answer to our very last question yeah. if you think back to I mean I was struck by lots of other things but 
if you think Baptists have one thing to declare to the world, what would it be? To which sort of the first thing John says is, we are sorry. Such an interesting answer. I actually found it a deeply moving moment to mm. hear John say that when I was talking with him and it resonated uh, very much. And oh, that we could speak out with that sort of humility and not feel threatened by it. You know, mm. I think, I don't know. What did you make of it? Yeah, I, I found that very helpful. Um, I think, you know, this idea that we're not the judge, you know, and we've set ourselves up as church to be judge. And, um, and, and actually we're not the judge. That was never the point. <laughs> the point was the point that we were the people who, um, who knew that, uh, you know, this is the, breadth of the love of God that it includes me so it can include you um and I think yeah I found I found that a very helpful starting point I think I I spend a lot of time uh talking to young people who are very worried about faith and think faith is going to be out um and by faith I mean the Christian faith um you know that they think that kind of Christianity is against them mm. and um so I'm, I'm, you know, to even get to a point of being able to talk about maybe what the gospel is, you're also already having to deal with this idea that they've experienced this huge amount of judgment um, and negativity and a sense of being criticised and told off and given a set of rules that are very narrow and they have to live by and that's what holiness looks like. And I think what John described and all the way through, actually, um, in, and again, in the tone, as well as what he said, this kind of beautifulness of something that was, um, you know, a better form of welcome, he said, you know, in the in his other answer, didn't he say, so we, we've got yeah. to be better than that, um, uh, and a deeper justice, and a, deep, a deeper something else. And I think it's that, it's that heart of God for those on the edges, those who have um been excluded those who need to know that someone really deeply formed them and cares for them and I just think it was just so yeah it made me I was properly like stopped and like you know because you you listen to things as you're doing other things don't you I'm sure as people are and as they're listening now (laughs) around but I think I had to stop at that moment and just listen to that and then I pressed rewind and listened to it again because I just thought how extraordinary mm. which did very much tie in with his answer to the, the question before about one thing to declare to, to the union that sense of a, a better form of welcome we've got to do better than this obviously john mentioning it particularly in reference to uh human sexuality and, and lgbtq plus um inclusion and I, I found that very uh moving too uh john's been uh someone whose wisdom I've very much appreciated as our own church has navigated those those conversations as well and uh, fantastic to hear about his sort of commitment to that and the wholehearted way in which he's embraced where God has led him to or at least I find that quite compelling um and it, it was yeah helpful to be challenged by that wholeheartedness it's been an interesting theme in so many of our interviewees, actually, um, how many times that has come up. And I know it's the, I suppose it's the, the theological scriptural question of our time, but I think, um, and the missiological one and the pastoral one and the everything one, but um, but I think it's, um, I wonder if a lot of us think we're the only person that thinks that, 
And actually what we're about to discover is there's actually been a big sea change and that actually a lot of ministers and a lot of church members are very deeply concerned about how the church has set itself up perhaps as against and has not offered a welcome that is anything more than a kind of half-hearted welcome or an unclear welcome that says you can be this but you can't have leadership or you can't have um you know uh you can't have marriage or you can't have whatever it is that the, the conditions that might be added on and actually maybe there's been something of a a theological grappling about how we read scripture and what does it say but also um a kind of a wider sense of maybe the step of the spirit is is moving and we need to catch up here um and i just i maybe i'm wrong um you know i see both opinions a lot of the time but i just wonder hopefully i suppose i'm gonna give my place away maybe that's it maybe we're just naturally <laughs> picking people who know us and we don't know the people who think differently and that's what we've got wrong on this podcast so far but um we're self-selected but i think it would be really interesting to see um as conversations go on in baptist life actually whether there is a, a general change so we'll perhaps uh, return to these things in in the coming weeks and months i'm sure we will um i think we perhaps another time we might pick up on perhaps we'll start next time maybe with thinking about um ecumenical connections and uh john's obviously spoke a bit about some uh, roots in methodism and obviously from your work with with jpit working extensively with them i'd love to hear a bit of, more about that but we'll you save that for us yeah. We do we do love our friends in the Methodist <laughs> church we do we do um, perhaps we'll we'll come back to that um another time um, so we're going to finish with our blessing uh for the season uh so a blessing from uh, gathering up the crumbs may you see opportunities to bring hope healing and peace where others do not may you have the courage to speak up for those that get overlooked May you be aware of God's spirit at work in the words you speak, the safe spaces you create and the relationships that you build. You are loved by God. May those that you encounter know that they are loved too. Amen. Amen. Seems so very fitting for mm. what John had to say, what we've been talking about. So our thanks to John and our thanks to everyone for listening as well. Uh, look forward to uh, chatting next week. See you soon. See you soon. Bye. Bye.